a warning to listeners. This episode contains explicit language and descriptions of sexual violence. I'm Amy Britton, and this is Canary, an investigative podcast from The Washington Post. Chapter 5. He's Hurt My Daughter. Hey, Carol, can you hear me? Amy? Yeah. Hey. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's going on? Yeah, I really have been having a hard time just over the past few weeks, you know, just kind of a feeling of feeling more and more overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and um, kind of tired and anxious. I was standing in the middle of the newsroom when Carol called me. The tone of her voice was deeply concerning, so I quickly walked into a private room and shut the door. She told me that she had just left a session with her therapist, Felix. They had spent nearly an hour talking about her parents, mostly about how Carol felt upset that they weren't willing to speak with me for this story. I had tried to interview Janet and Jean, but they still weren't willing to talk about Carol's allegations. I guess I really haven't felt very supported by them, and that just brought up a lot of those old feelings that I had about not feeling centered. You know, at the time that them, that he molested me, I don't want to hurt them, and it feels like I can't make it clear to them no matter how much I talk to them about it. You know, this, this whole thing about the anniversary taking place, um... And, you know, being in conflict with the story kind of coming out. And I was just haunted by my mother kind of losing her cool when we were talking about her going on the record and her sort of crying out to me, I just don't want my anniversary to be all about you, you know? And that hurt my feelings so bad. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to do the story or that I don't want to do the story, but what would it look like if I went to Amy and said, You know, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this. And I think that that has been preying on my mind, you know? The situation that Carol was describing, this conflict with her family about going on the record, I've seen how difficult that can be. When I reported on sexual assault and harassment, a lot of times I found that the support system around a person can influence their decisions. In some stories, I've had women back out because their spouses didn't support them. And in other cases, women chose to come forward because their children believed in them. So far, you've heard from Carol, and you've heard from her friends, her partners, her therapist, even her son. But there are two people missing from this story, two people who were very close to Judge Truman Morrison. And those people are Janet and Jean, Carol's elderly parents. They had a big event coming up, their 60th wedding anniversary. They decided that now wasn't the right time to talk about what had happened to Carol. Now, Carol was beginning to question everything. I've got these two worlds fighting inside of me, you know? And one is the narrative of what has happened up till now, which is that... You know, we're a happy family, and 
This was a long time ago. And, you know, I, I don't want to hurt Truman. But I, I don't know whether he did it to other people. Mm-hmm. And somehow, you know, the, 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 the onus, the pressure, the, the decision. I'm the arbiter somehow. You know, I've been asked to carry this secret. And I have to decide every day whether I think it's possible that he's done it to somebody else or not. You know? And I shouldn't have to decide that. The consequences are too great on either side. If I, if I don't keep the secret, it'll ruin his life. If I do keep the secret, there's a chance that there are people out there who are also molested by him. And it's all on me, you know? I'm in the crucible. God, I'm so sorry that you're feeling this right now. Um, I can't even imagine the, the weight of that. Okay, but I want to I want to let you know honestly. If you decide that you don't want to do this anymore with me, that's totally okay. I don't want to, you to yeah. feel like you would be letting me down. Yeah. Or, you know, I know this is a huge thing for you, and if you want to move forward, I'm there. I'm here. But if you yeah. don't want to move forward, I understand you're carrying a lot at this point. Yeah. I, I guess I just want to say I appreciate that. I appreciate what you just said. And I want you to know that what I've decided is that this is not even about you. This is about telling the truth. I felt so moved by Lauren's predicament, you know? And then I called you and something started to really unfold. And then then why did that unfold within me? All I'm saying is just, for God's sakes, you know, this this story is writing itself on my own heart, my body, my skin, my world, you know? This call with Carol lasted nearly an hour. Before we hung up, we talked about her parents' anniversary. It was just a few weeks away. The Griffin's family situation still seemed precarious, like we were all walking on eggshells because of the reporting I was doing and the tension it was causing. Carol told me that her parents asked her to sing during their anniversary ceremony. And Carol, she used to be a professional musician, and she wanted me to be there for this performance. She said it was important for me to see it, to witness this moment where she was showing her love for her family. So she extended an official invitation for me to attend her parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And this may seem like a bit of a detour to tag along for an anniversary, but I wanted to show the Griffins that I was committed to telling the story fairly and fully, and I wanted to understand a bit of their own struggle with this process. A few weeks after that call, I arrived in Birmingham, and Carol had some good news to share. It was about her parents. 
there was a change of heart. She told me that sometime after the anniversary, they were planning to sit down with me for an interview. And they were finally willing to talk about what they knew about Truman Morrison. When they told me that they had had an epiphany and they were going to support me, I suddenly felt just lighter and freer and so... um, I wanted to do as much as I could to support their anniversary. It was a Sunday morning, and it was just a few hours until the big ceremony. Carol was with Shay and her son Isaac running through a rehearsal of the song she was going to sing. It's called Crossroads by Don McLean. I want to do as much as I can for them. I'm so grateful. You get to doing that. Once I got to the church, I saw Janet and Jean mingling in the hallway with friends and family. I briefly said hello to them and made my way to the sanctuary. But before the ceremony could even get started, the whole thing went sideways. Jean, who goes by the nickname Griff, had an accident. When he was in the restroom, he slipped and fell. A minister came in and told us what happened. Griff has fallen and comes head. Carol rushed to help her dad while they were waiting for the paramedics to arrive. I kissed him on his head, and I was like, that's me, Dad, I'm kissing you on your head. And he was like, oh, that's great. My mother kept coming in and asking him how he was doing, and I just think she was in shock. She has looked, you know, she's looked so much forward to this. Both of them have. I was sitting with dozens of guests in the sanctuary, all kind of looking around at each other and wondering what we should do. Then I suddenly heard Carol shouting. The paramedics had arrived, but Carol didn't want her dad to leave without a proper send-off. She wanted him to hear the song she had planned for the ceremony. So as they were rolling Jean out on the stretcher, she started to sing. I've got nothing on my mind. Nothing to remember. Nothing to forget. And I've got nothing to regret. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jean went home from the hospital later that night, and I flew back to D.C., genuinely moved by what I had witnessed. Carol told me that as Jean was recovering, he talked to her about how much that song meant to him. A few months later, Janet and Jean said they were ready to talk to me. He's got hearing aids. He needs oh, to put okay. in. We should have thought of that. Sorry. Well, I can. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. I can hear I can, you. I can talk like that. 
Okay. I can talk loudly. So are you guys going to do a, a redo of the ceremony for 61? Or 70th. <laughs> <laughs> we might do it. I don't know. We might do something. I was back in Alabama, sitting in a chair in the Griffin's living room. Gene was kind of propped up at the end of the sofa with his walker next to him. Janet was sitting beside him, holding a couple of pages of notes that she prepared for our interview. Um, Okay, so let's start with an easy one. Can you both um, tell me your names and your age? I'm Eugene L. Griffin, and my age is 85. And I'm Janet Griffin, and my age is 80. First, I wanted to ask about what had finally made them come to the table. Was there a moment for you where you kind of changed from being reluctant to saying, okay, we're going to do this? Happened to both of us at the same time, I think, just maybe after your last visit. Don't speak for both of us. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) When did it happen for you? We were here with you, and then we had some discussions and I'm saying I can't be on this this side of this thing that because she she's she's been such a way Pointing to your heart? Are you pointing to your heart? In my head. Well. You want tissue? There you go. You usually keep one of these handy for the girls. (laughs) You were saying she's been such a. I didn't hear what you were saying. She's been such a... Joy. Janet told me right off the bat that she was skeptical about this whole process. We've had, you know, newspaper reporters before do stories on us or our parents or something. And and what comes out is not always what you say. And no, I'm... To sensationalize this, that's what I was thinking. Oh, my gosh, we're, they're going to sensationalize it. And that's kind of what I still think. But And I'm not for that. You know, I would have loved for Carol to say, let's go up and confront Truman mm-hmm. and do something. You know, I'd have been right there. Let's do something. But, you know, but to do it this way, no, I'm, it's not my cup of tea. What about you, Gene? Well, I was more in line with what Janet's saying. Then you throw on top of that all of the new information that's developing in the Me culture too. now. And I began to think of it, and I began to think of it in terms of where we were at that time and then what it came down to is 
this is my daughter. You know, to hell with all of that. So, whatever, whatever helps her. That's what we finally both That's came what to. I want to do. That's Carol's, you know, that's Carol's story to tell any way she wants to tell it. And if this is what she wants to do, if this is what's going to help her. She's living in, in her era. And she's not living in, in our era. I just don't want her to be hurt by this. You know, you see what happens to all those women that tell. And you see what's happened to all those little girls. God damn it. You know? What little girls? Huh? What little girls? I said all of those little girls that are... And Carol was one. Yeah, you see. Yeah. It's got to stop. This has got to stop. Well, we got to scare the shit out of somebody or something. I mean, to help. When the boys get molested, they say... Oh, isn't that something? All those priests did that. It took courage for those boys to come out and speak. When the women speak out, they should have spoken out then. It's a different, you know, they treat women different than they do men. It takes courage for those women to come out. And it takes courage for those boys, too, but society, you know, affirms them and doesn't the women. They get crucified, those women. Now, we needed to talk specifics to see if they had any information to either back up Carol's account or refute it. So, how do you first remember meeting a man named Truman Morrison? We met Truman in 1971 or 72 through his sister, who was here in town for her grandfather's funeral. And she brought her father and Truman, Tim, as we called him. I asked them what they had in common. He was doing uh, voter registration in Mississippi. Uh, I was involved with the panel of American women here in Birmingham, and we were all involved in civil rights and anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. They told me about Truman's instant bond with Jean. Truman has a good sense of humor, and it matches mine pretty well. He and Truman get together, and that's all they do is check at each other, laugh. They said that they were close. And it's hard to find friends like that. Janet confirmed Carol's account that she had met Truman when she was about 13 years old. She was in the seventh grade. I do know that because it was the seventh grade. Both Janet and Jean remember the family trip to Virginia that Carol told me about. We would go up there and stay um, maybe for a week. It was uh, a lot of music, some drinking, and a lot of good conversation. They took notice of the amount of time that Truman and their 16-year-old daughter were spending together. And I remember, I mean, I remember Carol spending time with Truman because I did take her aside and I started to spend more time with the cousins. But at the time, neither of them felt concerned. Jean at that time, or I mean, he said, uh, in fact, I wrote down, he attributed it to Carol enjoying some adult company and conversation about jobs and school more than being with the kids. Mm -hmm. So I felt okay about it. 
Mm-hmm. Neither of us suspected anything going on. They remembered the deck that Carol described. And they said that Gene even helped Truman build it. The idea was to build this deck so people could lie out there and sun. Oh, sunbathe. That yeah. was my understanding. At the time of the trip, they were unaware of any assault. Deck, they if there was an assault on the deck and if I was there, I have no recollection of it at all. And I'm saying this because I don't question Carol's recollection. It would probably be much better than mine because I was not attentive to anything. I was, (laughs) as her father, I had no suspicions at all. Yeah. If we had suspected anything, we wouldn't have stayed friends. Carol told me that the night that she was assaulted, her mother was asleep next to her on the deck. But Carol's parents said that they had no recollection of falling asleep there. Yeah. I mean, the kids could have, Carol could have fallen asleep, anybody could have. We could have been out there listening to music, which is something we could have done easily. Gone back out to that deck, but as far as, like, sleeping out there at night, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I asked Carol about this later, and she stands by her memory of her mom being next to her. It's not uncommon for details like this to vary, especially when an event happened decades ago. For Carol, she says the details of the Virginia trip are burned into her memory because that trip changed everything about her life. But for her parents, the trip was nothing out of the ordinary. Janet and Jean said they went for years without knowing what happened on that trip. Sometime in the mid-1990s, when Carol was in her early 30s, she called her parents. And she said she wanted to tell us something. It had been a secret all these years or something that um, one of our friends had molested her. I was in a state of shock. Because mm. <laughs> I went over it. You know, she didn't tell us right away. And I was saying, it couldn't have been Jeff, couldn't have been David, couldn't have been Truman. Who could it have been, you know? And then when she said it, oh, my God. I mean, it was just shocking. It was in a state of shock, both of us. And it was sad. Carol told them that Truman Morrison had sexually assaulted her during that family trip to Virginia. I remember how we felt. I remember she told us. And we believed it. There wasn't any doubt. I mean, you know, it was just shocking. I don't even know if we talked about when it was or anything about it, but we knew that he molested her. And we had both talked about going up there to see him. Our mistake was we should have asked Carol to come over and let's talk, but we didn't. That was a big mistake, just not sitting down and talking about it. Instead of consulting with Carol about what to do, Janet came up with a plan on her own. She decided that she was going to reach out to Truman. And it wound up me calling him and telling him I wanted to meet him, talk to him about something. And she had a plan to confront him in person. I wanted to see his face. I didn't want to do it on the phone. 
I wanted to see his initial reaction when I told him. So she booked a flight to Washington, D.C. So I let him know when I'd be there, and he met me at the airport. And she said that Judge Morrison agreed to meet her at the airport, right by the gate where she was landing. She remembers this meeting happening soon after that phone call with Carol, sometime in the mid-90s. Judge Morrison would have been about 51 years old. He would have been on the bench for roughly 15 years by then. Carol had mentioned this confrontation to me before. She learned about it shortly after it happened. But now I had the full details from Janet. Um, We met in the airport. I told him Carol had been in counseling for a long time. And I could see his face then. And I said, you molested her and... I don't remember anything except I did, you know, I felt like I saw some remorse. He knew that it was the end of, he knew it was the end of his best friend's relationship. He knew it was the end of everything, all our family stuff, everything. When you say... He said, what can I do? He did say, what can I do? I said, apologize, write a letter. I don't know. What can you do? And do you remember the conversation happening in a public area? No, it seems like it was when I was getting off the plane and he was there, we kind of stood over to the side somewhere. Like we didn't go and have a cup of coffee or sit down at a table. It was all right there. Probably didn't last 10 minutes. And I knew. Just by looking, I wanted to be able to look at him, and I didn't want it to be on the phone and do like some of these men do. Oh no, it didn't happen, you know, like all the men do now. They all deny it. I wanted to be able to look in his face, and I wanted to see something, and I saw horror or a deep remorse. I mean, I felt like it was really remorse, not that he'd been caught. I didn't feel that way. I felt like it was remorse. I was struck by the dramatic image of this airport confrontation. The idea of a sitting judge going to a public airport to meet a mother accusing him of molesting her daughter. And the idea of him asking repeatedly, what can I do? Did he, so I'm just, I just want to be clear, he didn't deny it. He didn't deny it. He didn't say that it happened, but he didn't deny it. After the airport confrontation, Janet and Jean said that Truman mailed them an apology letter, similar to the missing letter that Carol had been searching for. I don't know really what the letter said, but it was a letter of apology of some kind. 
Carol's. I, she can't. I, I can't believe she can't find. She can't but Janet couldn't find their letter from Truman either. I don't think he'll deny it. Janet said that for years, she only knew about one account of sexual assault, the one that happened at the Virginia property when Carol was 16. Janet said she didn't learn from Carol about the additional sexual incidents with Truman until fairly recently. Some of the specific details were even shared during this reporting process. The Griffins have been the missing piece of this reporting puzzle, and now I had clarity on what they knew. Before I had traveled to Birmingham, Carol's mother had made an unusual request. She wanted me to watch this movie, a movie called Dead Man Walking. If you haven't seen it, it was released in 1995. Sean Penn plays the Louisiana man convicted and sentenced to death row for murder and rape. And Susan Sarandon plays the real-life sister Prejean, a sympathetic nun who fights for him to avoid execution. I've been this close to a murderer before. Not that I know of. What is a nun doing in a place like this? I just want to help him take responsibility for what he did. I had never had anyone ask me to watch a movie before an interview. But Janet said the movie would help me understand a little bit about herself. I know Carol one time said I'd, I connect with the perpetrators. I don't. But when I see remorse, then I, I, do, I do feel for the perpetrator as well as the victim. I mean, my dad used to tell me that. I mean, that's just, I forgive easily. And Sister Prejean didn't necessarily forgive him. She just saw him as a human being. And she saw him as a, I mean, she really saw him as a human being, and she was ostracized for it. She was hated for it. Like, you have to choose. You either choose the victim or you choose the perpetrator. No, you can choose both because that's, they're human beings and they do bad things and they do good things. Janet was talking about compassion and kindness given to a man who had been condemned and ostracized. Janet said she was trying to live up to the ideals of Sister Prejean. Janet told me that she had seen remorse on the face of Judge Morrison the day she confronted him decades ago. But she was alone that day. So Carol never saw that remorse, and neither did Jean. That's why this idea of forgiveness, it was messy for the Griffins. It was tangled. It wasn't clear-cut. Have you forgiven Truman? Well, it's complicated. I don't know for sure that Carol's forgiven him. Mm. We can talk about it. Mm -hmm. What about you, Janet? I don't know if it's forgiveness as much as just knowing that good people do bad things. And Truman has done so much good for poor people. But he's hurt my daughter. So does that even out? No, not for us, not for me. 
in the next chapter of Canary. Dear Judge Morrison, I hope that this letter finds you well. My name is Amy Britton, and I'm an investigative reporter from the Washington Post.